0: Welcome to another episode of Failing Forward. As always, I'm your host, Steve Hofsetter, joined here in the studio by a special guest. I'll we'll introduce her in a second. First, let me remind you to like, comment, subscribe, share. Make sure to support the art that you enjoy so that other people can enjoy it as well. Now, I'm joined here in the studio by Simona Grace, who is a very different guest than I usually have because you are involved in politics.
1: That is correct.
0: And in a way that... I don't think I've ever spoken to someone who runs a pack before.
1: Yes and I think we should clarify right now what a PAC means because it's yeah. not a wolf pack. So PAC <laughs> refers Oh, I've to spoken
0: to people who run wolf packs. I talk to them all the time.
1: Well, then this is a very unique one. Yeah. So PAC refers to an organization, a political action committee, and there's also a lot of different ones. So some that are connected to corporations. So a lot of the times when you hear about candidates rejecting corporate PAC money, that's the bad type of, you know, PAC. Mine yeah. is the good kind which represents good ideals. And tries to help candidates who represent our ideals. Oh,
0: but I'm sure every PAC says that. That's right. <laughs> but no, but it is. But it is. There is a difference between. And we heard a lot about PACs and super PACs when, uh, you know, when Citizens United first passed. And suddenly corporate money started flowing into politics in a way that it never had before. And so there are two correct me if i'm wrong but the from what i understand the two different types of packs there are there are the packs that are basically they're they're funded it's it's almost like i don't i don't want to use a cliche as like dark money or something like that but it's a way to funnel money to a candidate in a way that you know technically you're not supposed to coordinate but really they do yes um and then there are the packs that it's like hey we have these ideals, whatever the ideals might be, and we're gonna form an organization to try to affect legislation. It's kind of, it's like a different way to lobby. You're not lobbying on behalf of a company or necessarily an industry, but you're lobbying on behalf of an idea.
1: That's correct.
0: Okay, so tell us about the idea that you are lobbying on behalf of.
1: So my idea I'm lobbying on behalf of is helping moms and making sure that moms get elected to Congress. And the way this start the the how I started about this was during the midterm elections, and I was following Katie Porter's race, and I became very intrigued by the congresswoman, and. As you probably know, I'm an immigrant to this country. I'm from Hungary. and I had no idea. <laughs> yes. I didn't know. Well, I didn't know where
0: you were from, but I did know that I could pick up on the accent.
1: Yes, yeah, so now you know. It's not a fake accent. It's a real one. Yeah. Uh, so I was following her race, and I was very passionate about democracy, and I grew up in a communist country. So for mm-hmm. me to come here, democracy was very a serious concept.
0: When did you come here?
1: I moved here in 2001 when I was 18 years old. Oh, wow. So To attend college.
0: Yeah, so... I mean when did when did democracy come to Hungary?
1: Um ni- 1989 so at the same time when the Berlin Wall fell. Yeah. So that's the time when the USSR just crumbled and we became um not communist but I wouldn't say democratic in a sense that it functioned.
0: Yeah, you were somewhere, somewhere in between. So, yes,
1: yeah, somewhere in between. Yeah. So Democommunist, came, exactly. <laughs> and you know what people say about communism? What was the worst part about communism? It's what came after, and so that refers to the fact that it was not entirely democratic. Yeah. Because it was very similar to the fact that a small group of people had the power, but it was now a different group of people, and we were able to travel or afford different things that we we're not able to or had access to. But we could, um, we really couldn't, because people were still making you know three hundred dollars a month.
0: Yeah, it it was. So I have I've been to Hungary, mm-hmm. and it that trip moved me. I think more than any other trip I've taken. Because aside from that, I visited the Museum of Terror, which is a, so well done. and such a fascinating place. And for those who are not in the know, it is the same building that was the headquarters of the Communist Party and the headquarters of the Nazi Party. Because when the communists took over after the Nazis, they were like, oh, a building with dungeons? Perfect. And so then that's where they did their torturing as well. And But seeing what – because I went to – I also went to Austria the same week. And seeing the difference in the two countries that were basically the same for a very long time. And then there was a compromise, just the history of this for, I mean, you know all this. (laughs) But for those watching, the history of it is um, when the communists took over after World War II, um, there was a compromise to not take over Austria but to take over Hungary. And to see the difference in development after that happened, and to see how many buildings in Budapest are completely bombed out, and the bullet holes everywhere, and the you know, the, the two foot thick walls for protection and the you know, the shutters so that the government couldn't see what you were doing and like all of these things, and then you go to Austria and you're just like, Oh, it's all gorgeous, it's all built up and shiny and gold and everything's nice. And this is what Hungary was and could still be. And so to see Just anyway, as a history guy, I was fascinated by that. And I can imagine that growing up in that made such a huge impact on a person.
1: That's correct. And first of all, I'm very impressed by your knowledge of Central Europe. Thank you. <laughs> Usually, I... people ask me, "Are you from Hungary? Is that somewhere in South America?" So I thank you for that. I just
0: learned it was in Central Europe when you <laughs> said that. That was uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yes.
1: It's technically not Eastern Europe. Yeah. It's... So now you learn something new. So you know me. Growing up, for me, I didn't even grow up in a in the capital city. I grew up on at an, in a border town that's not even marked on a map. So
0: border town with what?
1: the border town with Serbia, Croatia Serbia, so okay. s- the southern border of Hungary. So when I was growing up as a child, I had dirt roads in front of our house and no telephone in our home. I mean it was just if if Budapest was something that you were really taken with and you thought that it was just amazing how the country didn't develop. Like, that was the best part of the country, <laughs> okay? So what you have experienced, that was yeah. that's the only place where people had something, jobs and, you know, some economic development. You would go to
0: Budapest city. and be like, what a nice city! I <laughs> like, was, you
1: know, going to Budapest was like the only option for me to travel somewhere. It was... Yeah. Um, it was just unbelievable. So a lot of times I actually look back at that. Um, when I go back to Hungary and I land and I come back to L.A., It was it's just still unreal. How did I end up here?
0: Well, Budapest, and by the way, Budapest now, don't get me wrong, Budapest now is beautiful. You just see everywhere you go, there are reminders of what happened. That's true, yeah. And not only that, but it also changed my view on American intervention mm-hmm. because... I used to believe that like hey why are we the world police? Why are we can't we fix stuff here? We have so many problems here. And then the you know the history of it there was a coup against the communists in the 50s very early on where they almost won and America didn't send troops and if we had sent I mean they lost by like it was I mean it was like watching like a it was watching like a 2 to 1 baseball game. I mean they almost won. It was so close. They had runners on. And if the US had sent a little bit of help, it would have changed things in Hungary for thirty years. It would have brought it would have brought democracy thirty years earlier. And we didn't because of the idea oh, we were just in World War Two, we're very tired. And so we didn't help. And to see what could have been is amazing and for you to have gone through that i mean that's anyway i'm i'm, I'm babbling <laughs> so, now but.
1: That, but that's absolutely right it was 1956 that's when the revolution happened and it was um, you know not a very popular move um From the United States, Hungarians really didn't consider that as a very popular move that they didn't help. But it was a large wave of immigration out of Hungary to the United States and Canada. So a lot of like the intelligentsia, professors, a lot of the people who were against the regime actually ended up leaving and uh, fled Hungary. So that did happen. But you know what? If, If you're right, if Hungary would have become democratic at the time, maybe I wouldn't be sitting here with you today. Yeah. You know, it would have changed like well, we're glad persona. to have you as a guest. So <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> so
0: in that sense I support the communism of Hungary. No. Right.
1: So back to so. I mean back to my politics and yeah. Ka- I guess it didn't start with Katie Porter. I was wrong. So my my idea for my pack started vi- during the midterm elections as I was watching Katie Porter run. But as you have now heard, like my life was entirely about politics since the moment I was born. Yeah. So um, and some some of the times the stories I share about my childhood, I think people become so um, just they are so they, uh, unbelievable. Like they don't even imagine communism the way that I'm explaining it to them. But, you know, one of my earliest memories as a child was I I didn't really have any birthday parties. I couldn't go to amusement parks. I no family vacation. Like, that was just not a reality. So one of my earliest memories as a child is actually 1989. I was standing um, in front of my grandparents' house, and I saw, like, a caravan of Russian tanks leave the country. So that's, like, one of my earliest memories growing up and seeing how my country is militarized and now the... Berlin Wall fell and I'm seeing all these Russian soldiers leave the country so growing up you couldn't escape being in politics it was like all around you
0: so now like if if your kids bummed because you took their phone away i just like hey Uh hey I grew up in (laughs) communism
1: if he would be here he would totally agree with you yeah <laughs> yes Feel like I
0: have no sympathy for this
1: yes that's exactly how the conversation goes at home mom can I have an allowance yeah. no do you know that the amount of money that my family lived in (laughs) hungary do you want an allowance no thank you and then he would tell me but mom i'm an american so i have nothing to do with that but you're absolutely right how old is is your son my son is nine years old and he's also very political he has very strong political opinions um you know the sweet thing about my son was he's a very sweet child very smart loves to read doesn't do any sports and um he went to disneyland for the first time and he came back and i asked him how he liked it and what his impression was and he said you you know what mom it's terrible the workers are not getting paid enough they they don't even make minimum wage they don't make 15 dollars." so i was um just astonished that i've never had this discussion with my son yeah and he went to disneyland and he didn't tell me about the rides the first thing he said to me is how he feels terrible about The worker is not getting paid enough and working so hard. It does make me proud, and I had nothing to do with it. I wish I could take credit for that.
0: Yeah, but that's still, but but you have to do with forming him into the person who can have that opinion and who can, and even if people are listening and you don't agree with that opinion. It doesn't matter. It's still amazing for a nine-year-old to have the intellectual capacity to have it.
1: Yes, he has the intellectual capacity, and I think he has a very good heart and compassion towards others. Yeah. And him and I have gone back to Hungary just the two of us every year since he was a year old. So I'm, you know, I'm proud of the fact that I was able to introduce him to a different type of world, a different, um, different way of how people live. Yeah. And. He, my grandparents were still alive and we were able to stay at their home in the same home I grew up. So I am very h- glad that I was able to introduce him to that because as you know in America, especially living in Los Angeles, like, kids have everything these days. And this is not reality for most of America or yeah. not even reality for most of the world, the privileges that we have here. So yes, I had a little bit to do with it. And
0: <laughs> as, as Hungary gets, like, gets more successful as a country, do you have to take him to like worse countries so that he understands? <laughs> so,
1: I guess that's a good point. You yes. have to
0: be like, hey, look, things are better now here, but we got to go somewhere else. We got to go somewhere where it's really war torn right now.
1: I think we have to add that to our list. It's yeah. a good idea. <laughs>
0: okay, so uh, so we're kind of setting the table and letting people understand what it is that you do now. Yes. And so so while Katie Porter is running for Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, you get an idea. Tell us about the idea. Yeah.
1: So, why Katie Porter is running for Congress? I have this epiphany. I'm looking into like gender representation of women in Congress, and again, I had this very strong belief in democracy because of the way I grew up, and I realized at this point that there are only like less than five percent of Congress uh, are women with children under eighteen. So, 535 voting members. Less than 25, or about 25 or months. So
0: 5%. What is the percentage of people who are that in the country, though? Because it's a very specific demographic.
1: That's the best question you could have asked because doing the math will make you realize how serious this is. So in the United States, about 88% of women become mothers by uh, the age of 44. So most women during the years where you build your career – most of them become mothers.
0: But I am curious to know now. So you go, okay, 52% of America are women.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, now, of that, I would guess a third at least are too young or too old to be in that demo. And then some people in that demo just don't have kids. So I'm curious to know the difference in terms of – because you go, okay, 5% of Congress yes. is is that demographic. What is that demographic in the act- in the states 15%? I mean, how, how what percentage of people are currently mothers with kids under the age of 18?
1: So, I'll give you one uh, statistic that I think will highlight this for you. So, okay. there are, I'm a single mom, so I like to read about single mom statistics. Okay. So, there are about 10 million single moms in the country. One of them is in Congress.
0: Okay, so ten ten million single moms, but hold on, I'm doing the math, mm-hmm. so that's one out of thirty people basically, mm-hmm. or one out of thirty one people if you if mm-hmm. you do the full math. Um so that actually but that means they're represented accurately percentage-wise?
1: You would think so. But uh, the point, I think the the point that people are forgetting about yeah. this is the fact that women are starting their careers much later in politics. Yeah. So if you look at like gender statistics globally and gender representation, gender parity, where we lag the most as women is political empowerment. So women have done so much better in the United States and in the world with education. We are all yeah. we are better educated than you at this point. Women are better educated. <laughs> I know you may But not I know like so that.
0: much about Central Europe.
1: That's true. So, you are an exception. <laughs> okay.
0: So, well, cause there because the what I'm curious mm. about is y- you know, I do understand the need for representation. Yes. Um but I but I like needling my guests a little mm-hmm. bit and I like I like pushing people so I fully understand. Um, there are There are other people in Congress who have been mothers and who, I mean, have been and who are mothers, but their kids are grown now. So what are what's the total number? So what's the total number of women in Congress?
1: It's a little it's about 22 percent right now, 22 22 percent, which is
0: way less than the 52 percent of society. Yes. So uh, and then from there, I'm guessing not all of them have had kids.
1: Yes, or not a lot of them don't have children right now, children under 18. Yeah. And I some of them
0: have adults, not kids. Is,
1: exactly. Some of them are done with raising children. Yeah. But, you know, Nancy Pelosi, I think, is a perfect example because she's, I think, the most powerful woman in American politics today. Yeah. And she raised for five the next children. year for the, yes we'll see how long yeah we, we'll she see is right now
0: well yeah for i mean it's possible she might become president but <laughs> but that's exactly
1: that's exactly the point like yeah. my question to you is nancy pelosi started her political career after she was done raising five children yeah do you think she would be president right now had she started her political political career in her 30s
0: her no but other people possibly.
1: Yeah. So that's the point. Yeah. The point is, a lot of times, I think the the question in the United States that you hear every day right now is, yeah. we never had a female president. How come we never had a female president? But so much has to do with motherhood. Mm-hmm. If we were allowing mothers to enter the workforce or enter politics at an earlier stage, yeah. they would get to those positions of power faster.
0: And one of the things I want to talk to you about, we have to take a break, uh, but one of the things I want to talk to you about also is the fact that you're California Mother of the Year, (laughs) yes, which is such an interesting thing. Um, I didn't even know that that was a thing you could be. Um, It's not a thing I could be. But uh, let's take a break, and we're going to come back and talk about that uh, in a second. Support the people who support us. Welcome back to Failing Forward, joined here by Simona Grace, the California Mother of the Year. And also the head, what's the name of your political action committee?
1: Moms in Office.
0: So Moms in Office, uh, specifically targeting fundraisers in order to help mothers get into Congress. Yes. Now, obviously, we all know the idea of, like, you know, mothers are who raise us very often. And, you know, I mean, shout out to the single dads. You're out there also. But uh, why, is, why is it important to make sure that Congress has mothers in Congress. what? It, because Congress has a ton of dads who do horrible things for children, who enact horrible education policies. And I mean, hell, uh, this school lunch thing that just happened mm-hmm. where they were just basically like, you know, all that healthy thing that we're, we're – you know, all, all the – uh, healthy achievements we've made. Let's roll that back and instead give our kids cardboard pizza. The most offensive thing about that is that mm-hmm. they call that pizza as a New Yorker that very much bothers me. But why why would having a mother in Congress make a difference? Why does it
1: matter? So I think you also said something very important that we have to acknowledge dads and young dads. I think, It's very important to get new leadership into our government. And where we lack the most is women. And most women are mothers. And as you know, it's very difficult these days to raise a child in America. So a lot of millennials will become parents in the next five years. Maybe a million million millennials welcomed a child um, last year. And that's going to be even more. Now, these millennials are uh, graduating with a huge amount of student debt. It's almost... uh, impossible in Los Angeles to afford real estate. And then they have a child. There's In California, thankfully, we're lucky that we have some sort of paid leave. But then you have to send your child to daycare. And that's like another mortgage. So yeah. if you add up, the, the math doesn't make sense anymore. It's not possible to raise a child today in America under these conditions. So I think people who are raising a child today very much understand how difficult it is. And also, there are so many things in the United States that we don't have that other countries have, and it's the norm, such as uh, paid parental leave on the federal level. Yeah. We don't have that. And uh, in California, we're lucky. We're more of a progressive state. But 113 million workers in America are not covered by any form of paid leave. So you're welcoming a child um and now you have medical bills to pay because America is also the most expensive country in the world to give birth. And now you're on unpaid leave. Yeah. So how are you gonna do this? And a lot of Hungary. I wouldn't suggest that. I wouldn't suggest that. But we could do so much better as a society. We are such a great country and such a great democracy, and we're not prioritizing these issues.
0: And one thing that, like, I, I used to be of the mindset of, like, well, you know, what, is, what does it matter if someone is going through the exact thing that you're going through as long as they have some sort of empathy to what you're going through? But I realized how easy it is to be out of touch. And I am someone who grew up very, very, I mean, rel- I'm going to say this correctly. I was never starving. But there were some days I was hungry. Um, I grew up not knowing where money was going to come from. Um, my parents fighting about not being able to make the mortgage. Um, you know, and it's not like we lived in a nice house. Um, they provided for us. Don't get me wrong, but not in the way of like, I knew I was paying for college. You know, I knew I was working through college. If I was going to, I was the first person in my family to not go to a city school. Um, and Even though I went through all that, I still don't relate to it anymore because now things are good. Now I'm okay. Now I own a place. Now, you know, and I look at, you know, some of the comics that open for me and the way they scrimp and save when they're on the road. And I remember I go, oh, yeah, that was me also, but I don't feel it anymore. And so when I look at people who are just wealthy running for office, And I'm like, you have no idea. You've never felt it, let alone forgotten about it. And so understanding the idea of like, okay, if you do want someone who actually cares about our education system, maybe they can have a kid in that education system. Because people are self-interested. And so I used to not get the idea of, okay, well, who cares if they're a mom or not as long as they care? But I do get the idea that you have to have different voices who actually represent everything.
1: Absolutely. I mean, if there are decisions that are being made about your life, you should have a seat at the table. And a lot of the times women, mothers, single mothers don't have that seat at the table. And you're absolutely right about members of Congress. And I think I can say this because you have red hair. Okay, I'm so curious where this is going. (laughs) Most members of Congress are white men with white hair that are worth over a million dollars. Yeah. So how do you think they are in touch with what it means for me to pack a peanut butter jelly sandwich in the morning and dropping my son off school the day after a shooting just happened in Santa Clarita? I mean, if they knew what it means yeah. to raise a family today, the the gun control bill wouldn't be sitting on the Senate floor for almost 300 days.
0: I, By the way, you did just make me realize that we need more representation for redheads in Congress. That's also true. <laughs> yes,
1: I think we need to start a pack for yes, that. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. We'll
0: start a pack. We only meet at night. Um, so um, I, I, I do think it is crazy that one of the most ridiculous pictures I've ever seen was there was a picture of people meeting to discuss women's rights, and the only woman in the room was Kellyanne Conway, and uh, better known as Skeletor, and it was just a bunch, there wasn't even, it was literally 100% white men discussing discussing women's rights, and I was just watching that being like, but but how? I'm a baseball fan. If they had a bunch of soccer players in the room discussing how baseball would go, we'd be like, get the hell out, of here. what are you doing What are you doing? You don't know anything about this. You don't know anything about this stuff. And so there, there does need to be representation. but at the same time, when you keep splintering down groups, at a certain point, you run out of congressional seats. So everyone should be represented, but also part of that is representing the district that you are from. I was very – when Hillary Clinton ran for Senate in New York, that's one of the only times I've ever ro- voted Republican. And the reason I did was because I was like, she's been a New Yorker for two months. She doesn't know anything about what we need. Now it's a little different because the Senate and the Congress have basically become national. But I, I think that there there's a lot of inter. – I'm stumbling over my words here, but – There are a lot of interests to be represented, not just the demographic, but also several other demographics as well. And so is it hard to find candidates who not just represent what you're interested in, but also represent what they're supposed to be representing once they get there?
1: You know, a lot of them, I get this question all the time. How do you make, are are you encouraging mothers to run for office? How do you get mothers to run for office? I don't. They are running for office, but they are not winning. They are losing. And I think a lot of the times, this is also the truth for those candidates who are representative of our population, the working class candidates, for example, yeah. a lot of the times they don't have the network of fundraising. They don't have the finances to start out. And if you don't start out with deep pockets, a lot of these organizations will also not endorse you and not help you. They yeah. will tell you to go home and raise $300,000 and then come back. So I Oh, think just that? That's just, <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It's not that bad, right?
0: Just the, Yeah, that's like uh, lunch for a week. That's exactly. fine, right? Yeah.
1: So, so it's not just mothers that are kept out of office. It's working class. It, I mean, imagine, how could somebody with a job run for office? Could you afford not to have health insurance? Could you afford you know, not pay your rent at the end of the month? If I would just yeah. decide tomorrow i want to run for office, well, where would my paycheck come from? So a lot of the times people who are actually just like everyone else are kept out of politics because it's no longer a reality to run for office. And yeah. that was my big thing back to our original question with Katie Porter and my epiphany, how much I cared about democracy and representation and mothers, I said to myself, I came to this country because I believed in this country so much. I believed in how democracy functioned in this country so much. So could I run for office? Am I represented? And I said to myself, no, there's no possible way that I could afford to run for office and have a job and raise my son. And I'm also not represented in Congress because Nobody is putting these proposals in place to help mothers, to help working-class people, to actually run for office. And there are a few now. So Katie Porter just uh, uh, one of her bills just passed uh, the House, and now it's in the Senate. So we know what's going to happen. Yeah, which is not, I don't know, but the Help America Run Act uh, would allow uh, you know certain things like using campaign funds for childcare for people who are working-class background or mothers. It would make it easier for them.
0: Yeah. So, what did you do before this?
1: So, I had a career in education, technology, and publishing for almost ten years now, and i'm yeah. you know very fortunate in that sense, and I still am ha- still employed. And I'm very fortunate in that sense that I work, um, I have flexible hours, I work from home, I work for a large company, but I have the flexibility to pick up my son from school and, um, and almost live like I have a small business but working for a large company. Yeah. So I'm very, very fortunate. I'm one of the moms who's fortunate. I'm also a single mom who doesn't receive any financial assistance to raise my son. I'm and en- you know raising him entirely by myself paying all those bills and I'm one of the lucky ones. Yeah. So a lot of the times I think about that and I say to myself it shouldn't be I shouldn't be saying this. It shouldn't be based on luck. Any working mother in this country should be able to feed her child. Any mother with a job should be able to afford health insurance for her child. But we are not experiencing this in our country today.
0: I I am just like so curious about this whole thing because so you just one day so you've got a full job and then you go I'm gonna make a political action committee and it becomes like a side project that then starts to grow at what point does that become a full-time job
1: I think very soon okay (laughs) you heard it here first she's quitting her job she's (laughs) this is her notice this
0: podcast (laughs) is her notice
1: yes I mean um
0: Because it's growing. It's growing. Moms, by the way, are such a huge viral demographic. Yes. It is – and – Part of it is just I feel like there's a language that moms have that the rest of us do not understand.
1: Yes. And also political action committees and people in politics do not understand the language of moms. And I think that was kind of my edge the way I started it. So actually it happened exactly like that. I was sitting in my bedroom one night and I said, I'm going to buy this domain and I'm going to register. I'm going to apply for a tax ID and I'm going to do it, do all this. And then it's going to be a thing. And right. I did it. And I was writing at a time for different parenting outlets about parenting topics at the intersection of culture and society. So, not yeah. about like, this is how you should change your diaper, but more like, you know, what it means to me in America today as a single mother to raise a son during the Me Too era.
0: Oh, interesting. Oh, man, there's so much to talk about. We have to wrap up, but there's so much to talk about.
1: So, I had this idea that. You know, moms are left out of politics. Not just representation, not just yeah. moms who are trying to vote into office, but moms. most moms at home have the desire to stay informed, but they don't have the time to read up on these issues. Yeah. And they feel excluded from politics because moms lack the resources to support a candidate. They don't have $5,000 to give. They don't have the time to attend yeah. a fundraiser. So I said, can we do something about this? Can we help the moms who are running for office and leverage this viral community of moms and empower them by allowing them to give five dollars and making sure that their voice is represented. So my pack functions in a very different way than other packs. I'm trying to position it as part of the mainstream and allowing moms to feel empowered by participating in this process. So any mom who we endorse is an endorsement from all the moms who are supporting our pack, and also I would like to say dads and guys, yeah. <laughs> because you know if take money from everyone who believes right. in our mission,
0: um, there's so much more to unpack here. But we do have to wrap up. Um, I, I very much want to thank you for coming on the show. It's something I have no kids, um, and I've had a couple of stand-up bits that have gone viral in the child-free community. Because I've talked about, you know, being an adult with no kids. And so it's just interesting to speak to some. I mean, a lot of the time I interact with moms, it's on a plane and I hate them. Uh, so
1: it's <laughs> I am it's but, Yes, I was that mom on the plane. Yeah, I as long as
0: my, my view is always, as long as you make the effort, it's okay. I don't care how, how much the kid is screaming, as long as the parent is trying. When the parent is sitting there flipping through a People magazine, ignoring the kid, that's when I'm like, I hate everything about you. But... <laughs> Total tangent. Point is, um, it's an interesting mission, and I'm sure that some of the people who listen to the podcast are moms, and they're curious about this, and also are non-moms who are curious about this as well. So tell the people more. Tell the people where they can find out more information.
1: So I would recommend that you follow me on Instagram and Twitter. It's Moms in Office. Very straightforward. And if you go on my website, which is momsinoffice.org, you can read about all the activities and the events and the candidates who we support. And you can also find my fundraising link. And you're welcome to click on it and stand with us and help us.
0: Yeah. It is funny that so much of the right who calls themselves pro-life, you're actually people who have created life and support it. So that, to me, sounds a little bit more pro Uh, Anyway, thank you, uh, Simona. Thank you for coming on. And as always, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for subscribing, doing all that. And we'll see you again next week.